Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Yo, welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. Another great Friday. Got some news here. Right as my favorite part came on. <laughs> Ant, what's up? Good morning. Good morning. Peter, how are you? He's not there. Peter's still asleep. Tone. Yeah, Peter, what are you doing? Tone, what's going on? Good morning. Morning, guys. Well, I might as well just like get right into it because um, something just flashed across the headlines, and that's that the SEC says that spot Bitcoin ETF filings are inadequate. Uh, regulator told NASDAQ as well as the CBOE that the recent filings from BlackRock and Fidelity and others aren't clear enough, aren't comprehensive enough. And so they told them to refile. So they didn't wait, didn't give it that much time to tell them that this wasn't enough. So that's the news that's coming across the headlines this morning. So, Tone, what do you think about that? I'm not surprised at all. Uh, this space is yesterday, and I found out just yesterday that uh, the SEC was going to give an answer in 14 days. And uh, everyone is assuming that Bitcoin is pumping on the expectation uh, that the BlackRock ETF is going to get approved when uh, I, I have very low expectations of that. So uh, if Bitcoin price is going to keep pumping, oh, uh, Sam, I think I hear you typing or somebody typing. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, if the Bitcoin price is going to keep pumping on the expectation that uh, the ETF is going to get approved, it's like the Winklevoss getting approved for an ETF back in 2017 all over again. Uh, and uh, the expectations then were low. They were low now. Uh, I'm assuming Bitcoin price is dropping. As I just heard this, I was going to go into with the price, but then you asked me to comment first. I can only assume Bitcoin price fell about a thousand. I have not seen it. I saw it at thirty-one thousand this morning uh, when I woke up. I was going to do my video at the top of the hour. Uh, thought I jump in for the first hour here. Uh, what's the Back price? Twenty-nine-nine. Yep, there it is. Uh, drop about a thousand. Uh, I think it'll be okay. I think 28,000 is still my like pullback expectation here. Uh, I, I Anyone that's in Bitcoin for a while knew the, the chances of this were low. Only the new people coming in thought the chances of this were high. But wait, I heard some more hopium there. It was like, at least they told them, like they told them now, they're working with them is what I saw. They told them instead of like declining it, like they gave them kind of the heads up. 
Yeah, uh, again, they've been denying the Bitcoin ETF for so long. And before they were denying it to like companies they've never heard of, nor ever gave a shit about. Uh, but now that companies are filing that they do know and they do care about, uh, they're going to be a lot more diplomatic instead of just rejecting and laughing. Yeah, that's a good response to that. They kind of have to because of everything that's transpired over the last year. They're supposed to be protecting investors, or so to speak. And um, there's also these products out there like the futures that are a lot more expensive because you have to roll them as well as the GBTC massive discount. Um, are they actually protecting investors so they can disagree with, hey, we want more information about these surveillance sharing agreements. Uh, but at the same time, um, do the investor protection concerns outweigh any concerns that the SEC has over whether these are comprehensive enough? Um, I think they have to be a little bit more, um, I guess, kind to these these uh, firms that are applying uh, because they look really bad right now. I just want to that term. Consumer protections is just another one of those control schemes. You know, it's they they wield it how and when they want under the guise of consumer protections. This this market action isn't it more just about the end of the quarter, end of the month? You know, all that kind of stuff that's all kind of coming in right now. I don't think so. I think this is just going to be driven by this BlackRock SEC thing. Like Bitcoin hasn't been volatile enough in the last quarter, like the last three months of Bitcoin have not been like volatile enough to uh, set, uh, to like make ridiculous changes uh, to portfolios. So I think the reason that the SEC is returning these silence, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, it really gets back to the heart of the the grayscale lawsuit against SEC. So basically, the argument there is that the SEC approved Bitcoin futures ETFs, and the Bitcoin futures ETFs um, references the same price indices um, of the underlying spot markets, and they they won't approve a spot Bitcoin ETF which tracks those same underlying markets because they say there's too much market manipulation, there's not enough surveillance to prevent fraud. But the same uh, futures ETFs track the same underlying spot markets. Um, and so there's um, discrepancy that's there. And it's kind of arbitrary and capricious that they approve this futures ETF and they don't approve a spot ETF. And so what the BlackRock did and what uh, Fidelity did and what ARC amended its ETF filings to include is an additional surveillance sharing agreement with a unknown, so to speak. I mean, we can presume it's Coinbase, but they don't directly name it. And they say, okay, we're going to add another surveillance sharing agreement between, in BlackRock's case, it was between the NASDAQ and this spot uh, Bitcoin exchange. And in the Fidelity's one, it was the CBOE and this same US spot market exchange. And they're adding an additional surveillance agreement between them on top of the other normal surveillance sharing agreements uh, to add an additional layer of, let's say, just 
surveillance to prevent fraud and market manipulation to quell the SEC's concerns. And now the SEC is coming back and saying, since you didn't specifically name that spot Bitcoin exchange and that it didn't provide enough information, uh, that's not comprehensive enough. And so it's, it's kind of ridiculous, um, but that's what they're saying. It's a little summary there. Well, that actually sounds like a legitimate uh, uh, reply from me. And look, I think they are going to have to eventually allow a Bitcoin ETF. I mean, they're going to push them back. And like these companies, they have good lawyers. Uh, they're going to get everything done. They're going to, you know, cross all, uh, cross all their T's and dot all their I's. And if Gary Gensler doesn't do it, then BlackRock will make sure the next uh, SEC chairman is from BlackRock, right? Like it's uh, uh, Gary Gensler might not do it, but uh, I mean, within two years, this is going to happen. So either Gary Gensler is going to be replaced uh, within this presidential cycle. If not, it's almost guaranteed that the next president is going to change Gary Gensler. And uh, BlackRock will have a lot to say as to who that's going to be. And that person is going to allow for a Bitcoin ETF uh, spot. It is coming uh, probably in 2025. Yeah, I just think, you know, they say that they don't provide enough information about the details of those arraignment, arrangements, but they're between NASDAQ and let's just say it's Coinbase. It's between NASDAQ and Coinbase or it's between the CBOE and Coinbase. Plus, you got the CME also doing surveillance sharing agreements uh, through the derivatives markets that they're going to kind of take the price from there, too. And, and all of these are members of the Intermarket Surveillance Group, which was established to provide a framework for sharing information and coordinating regulatory efforts among exchanges um, to try to prevent manipulation and trading abuses. So this would basically plug in to the existing framework, the Intermarket Surveillance Group, and so I don't know what like more information they want. And just because they didn't directly name the fact that it is Coinbase, um, that's why they're saying, okay, we gotta, we're going to return these. I mean, it just seems kind of like a, a detail that they're focusing on uh, to try to delay this again. Somebody did tell me a conspiracy theory about this stuff. I don't understand it, so I need you all to kind of break it down if it's true. Or it, it, what you think about the conspiracy theory. I'm going to say something that's probably going to sound very ignorant, but it's because I'm ignorant of this stuff. So somebody told me that futures have a tendency to like depress the asset prices or they have the ability to, I'm not saying it correctly, but they would depress the price versus like ETFs have a tendency to like, you know, raise price action or appreciate these assets. So it's like, and again, I'm saying it horribly incorrectly, I'm sure. But the 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 basis of this conspiracy theory is like, keep the futures going for as long as you can because you can help depress the Bitcoin market and, you know, the ETF would like totally explode it. You know, what do y'all think about that? I dig it. Keep, keep the price down. Thanks. I'm not sure I'm fully on board with that. Uh, that mostly comes from uh, the conspiracy that because gold is price discovery of gold is gold futures and gold is still at $2,000 instead of $250,000 an ounce, according to all the gold bugs, uh, that this theory kind of, uh, you know, is around. And then it just so happens that the Bitcoin futures were launched right at the top of the market. Uh, I, I don't know if I buy into that, uh, but yeah, the spot ETF does tend to have a tendency to 
raise the price because it does take the underlying asset off the market when uh, people buy into that spot ETF. But it also, uh, at the top of the market, so it does end up selling that underlying asset. I think it all evens out at the end. Uh, same thing with the futures market. Uh, like for all the people that are screaming and hollering about naked shorts in the futures market dragging the price down, no one ever talks about naked longs dragging the price up. I think it all evens out at the end, even if there is a bias uh, to the downside for the futures and the upside for the spot, uh, this bias uh, is only pre prevalent in the beginning of these things launching. And then as it continues, it has very little effect. Like, is it going to have no effect? Probably not. But is it, we're talking like small percentage points, like one to 2%, which is not substantial enough to really care about. You know, okay, the other so thing is, is that the low price benefits the plebs. It benefits the first movers, the early adopters. You know, to to think that 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 there's price suppression so that somebody like BlackRock or Fidelity or or you know some large entity can come in is just ridiculous. This is a this is barely a pimple to them on the you know as far as as far as their balance sheets go. And I don't think they give a crap whether once they make a decision, I don't think they care whether Bitcoin's at 30k or 15k. They're just going to come in and they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, so I can make a little argument that they do care, uh, mostly because they don't want to be laughed at either, and they don't want to be made fun of. So if they're going to buy into Bitcoin, they want to make sure that you know a quarter later, they're in the green. Uh, even if it's a small amount, it's still in the green and not in the red. Uh, so I think they do care. New conspiracy. So the spot ETF can, can raise price. Uh, they they want to prevent it so that they can keep filling their bags while they still can't. Exactly. Yes. Well, no, but that goes counter to if they're if they were doing that, why are they pushing for the ETF, right? So now we're uh, now we're contradicting ourselves within the because they, know, they because they know it's not going to get approved. Why not mess with the levers while you can? <laughs> Just jump in, Greg. Just jump in. Yeah, Foss, what's up? Good morning, guys. Uh, morning. You know, How's it going? Tone base. Love your commentary, man. Uh, let's be careful when we see they, when everyone says they, they is not the fund. They are the people that are going to purchase the ETF. And that is thousands and thousands of potential clients, not just one client, just because BlackRock has the platform. It's not BlackRock as in they, if BlackRock's managing separately managed accounts for people, they may buy their own Bitcoin ETF. But the Bitcoin ETF platform is not they. It is a method of expressing buying interest via a QSIP in an asset called BlackRock, uh, excuse me, called Bitcoin. But more importantly, guys, not, neither here nor there. This headline is masterful because it occurred, it occurred on a Deribit witching day where the short gamma in the market was off the charts. Okay? So... This is an engineered headline because some dealer was caught so short gamma that they needed to get a headline launched so that they could cover their exposure. This happens all the time. And I need you guys to understand, this is how financial markets work. It's a process. It's a headline. There are dealers that are long gamma, short gamma. There are dealers that are hedged and wedged. The fact, the bigger picture here is that it happened on a Friday of a witching hour 
for Deribit options where the gamma was the largest in the history of the Deribit options market. That is the real headline. I'm going back to sleep. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. And to be clear, when I say they, I'm speaking of the seven serpents specifically. Hey, Foss, can you maybe explain for somebody who doesn't understand like why they would want to put out a bearish headline right now, given those circumstances? Because maybe very break it simply, down a little bit. Very simply, when you are trading options and derivatives, you have exposures to what's called the Greeks in pricing. You have your deltas and you have your gammas. Your gamma is the second derivative of pricing. Delta hedging is pricing an option that you've sold. So I'm going to walk this through you as clearly as possible. You've sold an option to a buyer to be able to purchase Bitcoin at 31000 And that contract expires today. And you are delta hedging it, meaning you're probably... Ford, on a witching day, you're probably 70% long Bitcoin to be able to facilitate the contract, meaning provide Bitcoin to the buyer of the contract at 31000 But your net 30% exposure exposes you to the velocity, think in physics, your velocity versus acceleration, exposes you to accelerating or the rate of change of velocity, the rate of change of delta, that's called gamma. And gamma is what fucking destroys people. That's why they're called gamma squeezes. So it's nothing more than the second derivative exposure that dealers are carrying to the highest level ever in the history of the Deribit Options Exchange. That's why you get moves like this when you get headlines like this. And Oh, far be it from Foss to be a conspiracy theorist, but I've seen it too often where these headlines come out very important times to allow all the gamma to evaporate and all the dealers are on side and let's start business again as usual on Monday. Actually, when is the holiday in the USA? Is holiday Monday in the Tuesday. USA? Tuesday. But are, are, are regulated exchanges open on Monday? Is the, tri- yeah. is the New York Stock Exchange open yes. on Monday? Okay, yeah. cool. All, all the point being, it could have been even worse because there is a four-day theta, okay? What is theta, people? Theta is time. So I need you guys to learn your Greeks. And if you don't learn your Greeks, you're going to get fucking destroyed. And by the way, 99% of the world has no idea what I'm talking about, which means DCA Bitcoin don't care about the fucking headlines. Bitcoin doesn't care. And Bitcoin, whether BlackRock brings it to market or not, is going to start getting bought by the big money. Why? Because it's the best performing asset in the history of man and the hardest money ever created. So the only thing I know for sure, Sam, fiat is programmed to debase. That is the 100% certainty. Hedge that reality or that certainty the best way you know how. And if that doesn't include Bitcoin, you're an idiot. You're a fucking idiot. And if you're selling options on Bitcoin at 31,000 because you're trying to cap- capture some gamma and capture some uh, Vega and some Theta and all the other Greeks, you're probably an idiot as well. Over to Calm you, Calm down, Street. sir. Calm down, sir. Yeah, so can I just chime in here real quick? I, th- I think what Greg is trying to say is, you know, all this shit is really complicated 
and most people probably don't want to like have a second job figuring all this shit out learning their greeks so maybe just save in the best money there is thank you wicked day. thank you and who whoever told me to calm down should have also told me to calm down when i had my rant going through georgia i calm get down, excited sir. about this there's an easy explanation for this price move is it's required in order to draw bart simpson's forehead <laughs> xox from canada go fuck yourselves greg foss loves you xox gfy signing out yeah hey guys so another way in a less complicated way uh, to what greg said uh, there's this concept of max pain. Um, you wanna, you can Google that. Uh, just also preference that with financial or options. Max pain, or you're gonna get some very weird websites. Uh, but just, so just a heads up on that one. And the concept of max pain is uh, it's the bigger institutions that sell options. They sell calls and they sell puts. And uh, when they get caught and the market moves a lot in one direction, they're gonna be paying a lot of money. So on this website, Max Payne, it shows you for every asset, every stock, I don't know if they'll have Bitcoin, uh, but we can look at, let's say, Apple options for expiration. Like at what price of Apple on the third Friday of the month or the last Friday of the month is the max amount of speculators going to lose the max amount of money? And that's going to be the price that the option writers, the bigger institutions, will try to force the price of Apple into on that Friday to guarantee themselves the maximum amount of profit on the derivative obligations that they sold. So if max paying for Bitcoin happened to be around 29,000 by end of day today, that's gonna be the price that these institutions that have a lot of money that have been writing options because they have a lot of money will try to push the price into. And if they have to put some kind of a headline out, like Greg is mentioning, they will try to do that as well. Okay. Now, real quick on the Greeks, if you are a speaker in this space or someone that you know I know, DM me because I do have a video, a private video. It's part of my options course that I sell, but I'm not going to charge any of you guys. So DM me, and it's a very good explanation on what Greg is talking about with Delta and Gamma and Theta. I go through them and uh, explain exactly what they are so that next time Greg talks about it, everyone somewhat understands. This was not a promo to sell anything by Tone Days, by the way. Yeah, no, but I great. love you. I love you. And I can't wait to see you in Unconfiscatable in Las Vegas because this is what people can understand in various ways, shape, or forms. The best way to own Bitcoin is in cold storage by dollar cost averaging over time. Watch Wicked's videos. Don't listen to the idiot in your attic. I'm just trying to explain why it happened, not that I endorsed that it happened. The idiot in your attic lived this fucking chair for 30 plus years. Nothing is new to people that have done it for 30 plus years because these gains have always existed. And Fridays are always a great day to drop what's called a tape bomb. And this headline was nothing more than a tape bomb. Over to you guys. Thanks so much. The stock market is rolling this morning. Wow. That's definitely going to help Bitcoin stay up there. And bonds are getting destroyed. And if you own bonds and don't own Bitcoin, you are really a fool. And that's the simplest trade ever. Because bonds are a fiat contract that are programmed to debase. And guess what the biggest asset class in the world is, Tone? 
Yeah, you called it debt. $400 trillion of global debt. And none of these knuckleheads own Bitcoin. That's the real story. Gammas, thetas, ICO, uh, yellow. I love, I love the Greeks, uh, not in a manly sort of way. And I love yellow as well. Don't make me cry. You know who owns bonds but not Bitcoin, Foss? The state of North Carolina. But they're how much did Bitcoin. How much did Ontario teachers own? Oh, 25% of their portfolio, Dom, that we ran through with Alpha Zeta and the Nakamoto portfolio. 25% of Ontario's teachers' portfolio is in bonds. Now, remember I said in that podcast, there was a time that Ontario teachers was 100% in Ontario government bonds. 100%, Dom. At least they got off that stupid trade. Now it's time for them to get off the stupid trade where they don't own Bitcoin. Can't you can't outrun time with bonds? Yeah, and they just wrote off ninety-five million because of their FTX investment. They find that amount of money in their couch. Okay, that's a nothing burger. The fact no, is, I know, own... I know, but what kind of investment committee does that? You got to watch Alpha Zeta's portfolio. There's different portfolio silos for different risk-taking abilities. Alpha Zeta put together probably the best, or I'm sorry, it's not Alpha Zeta, it's Dom Bay. Put together probably the best podcast I've ever been a part of. Now you guys can say, well, he only acts in C-rated films. I don't fucking care. It's the best C-rated film I've ever been involved with, okay? And by the way, it, it was gold. It was gold. Yeah, Elliot had a good point on that, Sam, about because um, we talked about, hey, how did how did the Ontario pen, uh, teachers pension go into FTX while a Bitcoin spot ETF existed? His existed about six to seven months before they did that. And he kind of mentioned about how, you know, with the with the depth of a, a fund like a pension, the plumbing is all there for a venture capital move like into FTX or a private placement. But the plumbing isn't there, you know, for all the people to be educated and involved with the fund. So he kind of said, like, what happens is your division, maybe that's supposed to look into Bitcoin or, or different, you know, crypto investments. They're educated and they bring stuff back to the group and the group goes, I don't get what the hell you're talking about. We're busy with a bunch of stuff. Go ahead and drop 95 million into FTX and call it a day. Leave us alone and uh, like, go get out of here. Um, so he brought up that good point about how there's a lot of and, education needed. And Dom, you, you know, the interesting thing is there's some other Greeks called alpha and beta, right? That's in your portfolio measurement statistics. And alpha is your outperformance versus the market performance, which is beta. But there's a correlation trade between FTX and Bitcoin as well. You may or may not agree with it, but the statistical correlation would have said, this is our backdoor way of getting exposure to Bitcoin, but we're too smart by a half to be able to buy Bitcoin itself. So we're going to get this correlation exposure. It's too many mathematicians and not enough big picture thinkers involved in a lot of these games. Okay. You got to understand own Bitcoin, keep it in cold storage. If you're a pleb that it will outsmart the system. But the big boys are coming, like it or not, they're coming, and therefore you have to accept their games because their games have existed for hundreds of years. It's only evolution. Hey, I got to – oh, 
Sam, I had a quick question. If you guys, I know you guys talked about the um, SEC uh, kind of like here, take this back to the drawing board and, and fix this for the black box spot. Here's an ignorant question. Is there any, I mean, obviously the thing I start thinking about is, you know, if you're going to deflect from this narrative where people are like, you know, how do all these ETFs get declined and then BlackRock comes with one and gets approved, this would be a good strategy to kind of go, oh, whoa, 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 they didn't just get approved. We, we denied it. We sent it back. They, there were some issues there. It's not like they have some favoritism or inside track, a little cat and mouse there of like they had to fix some stuff up, you know, probably unlikely. But I always think about stuff like that when if it if it ends up getting approved and and you have this little trivial you know rewrite which Foss mentioned is just part of the game i get it certainly possible certainly possible i uh it, it was interesting well, that they probably grouped it all together probable yeah it's not just possible it is probable not 100% but in my opinion, greater than fifty percent. Therefore, probable that they that they sent back the filings to oh, make that sure was, that no, BlackRock no, that didn't seem actually, like a yeah. no, no. That's part of the process, Sam. I thought you meant about the headline hitting today. That sending back the the application oh, no. was about ninety percent probable. You think they're going to accept it verbatim? Come on, people. This is a process that's going to be back and forth for a period of six months or, or more. That's how things get approved. We've lived it in Canada. You think they just flip a light switch and say, okay, you're done. You guys can, you guys can launch the CTF. No, 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 no. It's a I mean, process. it's been going on for a decade. Wrong. Actually, a lot of it's Wrong. been built off. Wrong. No, what are you, talk, what are you talking about? You a lot of all possibly you... <laughs> launched an ETF in the United States a decade ago. Impossible. The market. Yeah, but never this been. is, yeah, but this has been going back and forth. You know, a lot of the work that is cited in these BlackRock and Fidelity filings is based off the work of like the Winklevi applying way back in the day to get more clarity about what is needed. And so this is a lot of work that's been built up from these applications that have been rejected over the last 10 years, culminating to what's happening right now. So the back and forth has been going on for a long time, my friend. Uh, we'll respectfully disagree on when the back and forth was real, but that's fair. What do you, yeah, we what can, do you mean yes. by that when, when it was real? What, what's the differentiation there, Foss? When is a market even remotely possible to absorb the potential buying demand from $900 trillion of global financial assets? Why is it likely that even though uh, Ray Dalio understands the global debt spiral and did embrace Bitcoin personally, that he says he doesn't think the answer is Bitcoin, but then goes on to describe his version of what the answer is and basically describes Bitcoin. It's because the markets were not deep enough to support the players that would try and squeeze themselves through the keyhole if this thing was approved. Now we are getting there. The monitoring exists, the exchanges exist. The, pre the precedent exists. We have five Bitcoin, more than five Bitcoin spot ETFs in Canada. You guys may not care, but that is meaningful to regulators in other jurisdictions. So again, it's a process. There is no way that the USA was going to accept a Bitcoin spot ETF 
two years ago when Canada accepted it. Because Canada is a rounding error, but the USA global capital markets are not, and nobody could have afforded the potential volatility and everyone trying to squeeze in through the same keyhole for that. Just market dynamics in my, in, in my opinion, Peter, that's it. I agree with Foss on that. Yeah, they talk about the liquidity actually and how it's uh, improved over the last several years um, in the filing. Like Fidelity talks about how there's now significant liquidity in the spot markets. Um, they talk about in January 2020 how the cost to buy or sell $5 million worth of Bitcoin um, basically moved the market like 50 basis points. And for a 10 million market order, um, it, it moved it like 80 basis points um, a year later. And so it's basically improving over time. And so maybe now like what Foss is saying, the liquidity is good enough where they feel like they can actually launch one of these. So I hear you, Foss. Dr. Jeff, welcome to the stage. How you doing? Hey, morning, Sam. Morning, everybody. Hope y'all are doing well. It's a good day. Happy Friday. Happy end of the quarter, end of the month. Happy what are, you, what are your thoughts July, about this uh, stuff? Weekend, by the way, for those of you that are going to be celebrating this weekend. Absolutely. Hey, Mike. Morning. So, Dr. Jeff, do you have any takeaways from this stuff? Um, yeah, I was only loosely listening, but um, yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a, um, at worst, a non-news event, uh, and at best, it's a good news event disguised as sort of bad news. Uh, it, to me, it's, uh, I think you guys were talking about this, and I agree. It's, it's sort of like if you are sending in a resume to, or a job application, and you said, oh, I did some volunteer work in 2022, and then they get back to you and say, can you please define what kind of volunteer work you did? Like, let's, you know, I, we need more clarity. Uh, like, that's how I, it's just, they just need to, like, you know, uh, update it and make it more clear what they're doing. So I don't think, I don't think this is bad news in any way. I also don't think it's, like, uh, I, I just an absolute green light. Uh, mostly, it's probably just a non-news event uh, for asking for more clarification. So, uh, the market response was an overreaction, probably, you know, like like always, probably because people were levered long like they shouldn't be in Bitcoin. Uh, so you get this short term leveraged long liquidation cascade, LLLC, uh, and people get what they deserve. Right. If you're going to use leverage with Bitcoin, you deserve to get wiped out, even if you're correct uh, on the long term direction of Bitcoin. Quit using leverage with Bitcoin or you're going to get wiped out, even though you're right about where it's going over the long term. So that's my read on it. I'll dip are for buying during a uh, bull market um, and, uh, you know, not individual investment advice, but anytime I see a big red candle during a Bitcoin bull market, uh, I'm usually, uh, if I can, able to, uh, I'm usually buying more. And another way of saying so eloquently what Jeff said, if you're using options to get your exposure to Bitcoin, you are using leverage. And therefore, that's the guys that got caught offside here. Those guys that were licking their chops because they had a $31,000 strike price to get filled on Bitcoin, oops, the dealer that sold it to you didn't want to have to deliver you Bitcoin, and he made sure a headline came out that allowed him to cover his exposure at a more appropriate price, as Tone Bay said, to the big money players, to the players that put out this liquidity. Simple, Simon. Absolutely. I just shared about an hour ago that $30 million in Bitcoin longs were just liquidated, so it's probably more than that now. 
and then you know dips are for buying not for crying so i agree 100 percent. i think all that plays into a factor of what's going on it's like uh what caitlin long says leverage and bitcoin don't mix um i wanted to throw it out to joe carlosari because joe you've shown uh restraint i guess in your excitement around this bitcoin etf compared to maybe other market participants and you had your reasons and so what do you what do you think about this news um well i think it's entirely expected i don't think there's anything surprising here um i went back after we had a great wonderful sit down i think everybody should take time out to listen to elliot uh, from evolve etf uh, the canadian etfs uh, describe sort of his impressions of just the overall bull market and, and Bitcoin really sit down and do that. That was such a pleasure sitting with Greg and, uh, and Dom and, and, and Alpha Zeta and going through that. Um, what I'll tell you is this after that, that um, I took the time after that uh, interview and went and looked at what Elliot was pointing to, which is he, he had heard from folks um, that this surveillance sharing agreements between Coinbase and NASDAQ was the sort of secret sauce to get approval. And I found, verbatim language tracked in two prior filings which had been denied um so i, I don't uh, i respectfully disagree with him on that because if, if that was the key ingredient um you know why would why would it not work previously why would it uh you know be, be uh, uh rejected previously so to me there's one big big difference with the recent set of filings literally one difference there's nothing different from market structure standpoint other than maybe some approved liquidity but nowhere near what the sec has said in its appellate court opinion is going to be sufficient um the big difference is blackrock blackrock filed their name slapped their name on it and that triggered a wave of excitement um but i think you can see clearly from the report today that they are working actively to shut that down um i don't i don't think there's any doubt in my mind at this point this is so atypical of a, of a release and a report that they would never have come out had there not already been a preconceived notion that they're going to not let this thing move forward anytime soon. So if I was, uh, and I, I tweeted this publicly, if I was 30 to 40% in favor of approval, like if that was my probability estimating approval, I'm now down to 10%, I think in the next year or more. I don't think the chances of a spot ETF, I think they're slim to none. You can never say never, Right. That's not the world we live in. We live in a world of probabilities and things can change. Now, what would make me potentially change my opinion on this is if you get a positive ruling from the appellate court, which also is possible. Um, if you have you know, you know, the court of appeals say we do think you're acting in an arbitrary and capricious manner and we're directing you to um, re revisit this particular um, application and develop more uh, reasoned rationale that could obviously carry quite a bit of weight. Um, but, you know, the, the reason you get this leak, the reason you get this, you know, press trigger about more knowledge is because they want to actively, actively influence the market. You, the SEC does not take these types of steps, um, you know, without a ton of thought and in terms of speaking with the media. They normally go through more official channels than that. Um, I will tell you, I just I was uh, going to join in here because I want to get other people's thoughts on this. But I got off the phone with someone I trust immensely uh, that's very close to the ground on this issue. And they uh, concurred on basically what I told you, that they think that this is a clear message. Spot ETF ain't coming anytime soon. So, so can we play a game? So I'm, my, my odds are higher. Would you give me 10 to 1 odds uh, on a Bitcoin ETF being approved, Joe? Meaning, uh, uh, sure, yeah. Okay, so let's bet a thousand bucks. Well, wait, hang, on, for, hang on, hang uh, on. By, by Christmas, by Christmas, by Christmas. Okay, I'm, I'm yeah, gonna so give I was going to say, by Christmas, 
uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that bet because, uh, I mean, That's listen, cool. listen, I'll, I just want to be clear. I, I think you'll get a spot ETF in the United States. Now, whether that comes in 2027, I mean, I don't See, know. That's Theta. We're playing Theta here, Joe. We're playing that's Theta. Theta. Theta, <laughs> Theta is Christmas. So I'm 10 to 1. I'm buying that odds. Joe and I, on the record, you can put it on the Ordinals blockchain if you want. Foss is buying from Joe a 10 to 1 exposure at 1000 bucks. that Bitcoin spot ETF will be approved in the USA by Christmas. 2023. There you go. And Joe, the coolest thing we just created here is we created some Greeks. Okay. We created Greeks. We created yellow. We created Greeks in this trade right here. That is a bunch of degenerates. That's cool. Because 10 to one, <laughs> 10, to one. 10 to one. And I got 21 to one odds by uh, Terrence from Swan on Kennedy getting elected president. Joe offered me two to one. I loved your odds, Joe, but 21 to one is way better for me. And that's what makes a market. This is beautiful capitalism on a roll right here. Thanks for the I'm odds, Joe. Getting elected. Sorry. <laughs> what, Sorry are odds, uh... what are your odds, sir? What are your odds? <laughs> what are your odds? What are your odds? 100% not getting elected. Okay, Greg's at like, 100 Greg's to like, one, I buy at 100 to one. At 100 to one, I buy. Okay, I buy. How much are you there for? Great, great. Oh, I'm not damn rocking all I'm of these bets. The definitive statement that I believe, 100%. That's not nothing. If you elected. can't back it up with your fucking odds, you're just a, a blattering <laughs> fuck in the wind, okay? Hey, Thank I'm you, not everyone. a degenerate gambler like you, Foss. I'm not a gambler. <laughs> I play probabilities. That's what it is. Probabilities. Thanks this so much. Great. Hey, uh, just Ant, say that, do you think we can do the uh, the, ten, the the Council of Autism ten to one on this show? Uh, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. Now me and Sam are going to have to package up the combo RFKN BlackRock spot approval with some leverage. Wall on there. Street would do it. And it's called, you know what that's called? That is called the great financial crisis. That's called alchemy. That's called packaging up fucking subprime mortgage loans with credit card loans and selling it to some stupid insurance company in Europe. That's exactly what Wall Street does. And they will package that shit up for you and jam it down your throat at the wrong price. Welcome to fucking TradFi. Okay, uh, guys, I, I will be back. I've been summoned by Mario to the, the shitcoin room. To talk oh, about no. So I'll be back. <laughs> Bye, Joe. Bye, Joe. <laughs> Have fun rolling around in the mud, buddy. Dude, can't wait to join <laughs> yeah, the Mario go, space. Go be bearish over there. <laughs> that that bet is um 3.2 million sats so you guys wanted to denominate it in better money uh, just saying don't gamble bitcoin he didn't accept it i'm I, I it's in canadian dollars if i if i lose and american dollars if i win okay so i'm accepting ten thousand american dollars when i win but I'll deliver 1,000 Canadian dollars if I'm on the wrong side of that contract. You see, that's why you have to examine the, uh, the counterparty and the... Uh... That's not the 10 to 1. <laughs> 10 to 1 in US dollar shitcoin. Clear? It's 10 to 1 in US dollar shitcoin. Joe and I are on the record settling by Christmas of 2003. 2023, I'm sorry. Okay, this is why Wall Street works, because you have two sides and you got bulls, bears and pigs. And 
Doesn't matter. If someone's on the other side of the trade, doesn't mean they were wrong. They were managing risk and you never know how they were hedging that exposure they just put on. Hedging and wedging, the name of Wall Street. Sounds like a speed dating site. We brought up uh, that episode that you, you guys did with, um, what's his name from Evolve? Elliot? Uh, the Nakamoto Gala Elliot, episode yeah, one. Yeah, it's, yeah, Elliot yeah, it's posted Evolve, in, yeah. the, in the room. It really was great. And I, and I really like the idea of the show. It's using the Nakamoto portfolio tools to try to, um, you know, look at the portfolios of certain institutions or organizations and, and just kind of going through running the numbers um, to see how it would happen, how they would perform if you kind of allocated Bitcoin there. Um, and I thought it was a great show. So Dom, uh, congratulations on starting that. And um, I think it's going to help Orange Pill a lot of these institutions. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's what amazing all-star cast. You know, uh, you guys have seen now Elliot Johnson and like it just was the perfect timing, right, for where what his background is. And the guy's a, an ass. He's a diamond in the rough. So I'm happy to see him getting tons of uh, exposure. I think he's a, a great asset. He mentioned on the show that, you know, I think, I think he, for someone that's going to be, uh, you know, for someone that has a spot ETF, like I appreciate his depth of knowledge on just Bitcoin and the fundamentals, the core values of it. I think it's, it's refreshing. And um, yeah, man, shout out to Alpha Zeta who look, the guy created this amazing thing. I just approached him with an idea and usually when people create stuff, they can just kind of like deflect and go like, Hey, this is my thing. Take your idea. But that guy's a collaborator. He's, he's just wants to see Bitcoin succeed and it came together. So it was really fun. Thanks. dude. And we're talking maybe North Carolina state as a potential future guest to run the state treasury through and, uh, see, see what's, what, what options are available. So we got a lot of cool options up ahead. Yeah, didn't North Carolina say something about they want to look into Bitcoin uh, to put it on their balance sheet potentially? Wasn't that some news last couple of days? Yeah, the the um, the assembly, the house, the state house of representatives approved uh, an initiative, or they have a bill, and part of that bill involves exploring Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And this initiative, uh, the North Carolina blockchain initiative, I think it's called, was approved by the lieutenant governor's office, I think, in 2019. So it is a state-sanctioned, um, you know, uh, program and study. And uh, there's a lot of other things involved in the bill as well. And I think it's it's now pending a Senate approval to see whether it goes through or not. So it's not finalized, but the the House passed it. Uh, pretty overwhelmingly, I think it was like 73 to 16 or so numbers close to that. So that, do, yeah. we know, do we know if it was Bitcoin only or were there other digital assets on the proposal? When it was uh, announced, it mentioned Bitcoin specifically and gold together as uh, ways to uh, protect the uh, treasury and reserve of the state against inflation. I haven't looked at the specifics of the bill to see if it mentions, you know, exploration of other, you know, uh, assets or tokens. Yeah, we don't want another Miami token, Miami coin. 
Please no. Seriously, no. Well, you're really you're starting to see states, but then uh, internationally, we saw some news. Um, we saw the government of Georgia and Tether partnered uh, to quote unquote make Georgia a global powerhouse in Bitcoin. And then um, around the same time, there was news from like um, Slovakia, I think, which decreased its taxes from like double digits to 7% on Bitcoin. Um, and so you're just seeing the kind of this like game theory start to play out. Um, both at the state level, but also internationally. How Bitcoiners have kind of always speculated it would play out, actually. Yeah, that's what's, you know, cool about the next cycle in my in my mind, you know, is that in, in the last cycle, it was always about the institutions coming. And now we've seen, you know, some some governments and some state governments kind of messing around with it, toying with the idea, kicking it around. So, you know, in... The idea in my mind would be that like the next cycle would be, you know, the governments are coming. But here's the downside of that or the other side of that is as much as we wanted the institutions to come back in 2017 and give some relevance to Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah. We saw how that played out in this cycle. So, you know, as exciting as it is for the world and the adoption to happen, I'm all for it. You know, all of that. I always say plebs hurry up and whatever. But. I mean, it's going to be funny to watch this next cycle. Who knows how how the price action could go based on big players like that trying to come in and, you know, MicroStrategy buying up. What did you say, Wicked? Like a year supply or whatever that is. I mean, it's like, it's going to be funny to watch. It'll be a year supply worth in a year. It's about half a year at the moment. So yeah. we... We we focus on the on the negatives that institutions brought over the last cycle, but we certainly didn't focus on the positive that institutions brought over the last cycle, which is all the building that has been done on Bitcoin. Yeah, Peter, I think that's. I mean, yeah, it's. Hey, I look at it as in a layer format, as another layer of adoption, and and with that layer is going to come a lot of hard work. There's going to be opportunities. There's going to be a lot of. Foss mentioned it, I think, on Toxic Happy Hour that like. Imagine a pension fund adding Bitcoin to their portfolio. Now all the participants are going, hey, what did my pension fund just do? Well, hey, what's this? All right, I got, I'm going to take a look at this myself. Now they can go in a lot of different directions. Have we seen? They can go down the degenerate, misinformed gambling route, or they can start learning about you know the long-term potentials of Bitcoin. And so the work is going to have to come with it. We talk about it all the time, like, the spot ETF is a bridge that opens up the door to institutional layered adoption. But with that, it's going to come another layer of work and a whole nother layer of people that have to work across different, you know, uh, fronts to educate people on Bitcoin. So there's, you know, they both come together. Yeah, I did like Alpha Zeta's post a little bit where he was like saying, because, you know, I, I guess they have like $50,000 or something allocated to studying the bitcoin you know like and he's like basically save that money put it in bitcoin and he'll do the analysis for them for free i think pretty cool little tweet but yeah that was that was rad man you got to be looking i i try to you know when the fed's looking at all these states or it's small right now right i, I put probably in their global perspective that it's a spot fire 
But, you know, in the fire world, spot fires are not a problem unless the climate and environment aligns for a rapid spread. And I mean, with having coming up and a lot of different conditions, it's just interesting to watch some of these. If, if you're in the Fed or in your any position and you're, you're anti-Bitcoin and you're seeing states saying we want to look into it, pension funds, we want to look into it, countries, they're just spot fires right now. But if that weather aligns... And the topography aligns and you have a run, it can become a very fast moving fire front that just is unstoppable. Better hope those uh, states and countries and whatever are, you know, practicing good custody. <laughs> we don't want to, you know, you don't want to see them go insolvent because they were holding it on some some exchange or some custodial platform. Not, you know, and uh, what what does that look like when? like a state loses access to their Bitcoin. <laughs> and it's going to happen too, because, you know, especially if they continue to suppress the price while the rest of us are taking our Bitcoin off of the exchanges and the liquid supply continues to dwindle. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be some pretty big fireworks once, you know, everyone's caught swimming naked because they've been rehypothecating everyone else's Bitcoin. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting once, you know, you've got people like MicroStrategy and maybe even some governments who have some Bitcoin holdings, quote unquote, right, that they thought they had, but they were all intermingled with each other. So they're fucked. Fuck around and find out. It's going to be uh, pretty epic. That's what they talk about, actually, in the uh, BlackRock filing as well how you have to trust the sponsor to secure and manage all the Bitcoin and that there's a ton of risks. So that's, you know, we get all excited about these ETFs, but nothing replaces holding real Bitcoin with zero counterparty risk. And you're just holding paper Bitcoin with the ETF. I mean, that point should be hit home over and over again. Cause I actually looked at the trust documents and uh, there's like no voting rights. You know, if the, if the trust sponsor decides to change something about it, um, you don't have any rights at all um, if you own shares. So they can amend the trust agreement. They can increase the sponsor fee without shareholder consent. Um, and you have to trust that they're going to manage and secure the underlying Bitcoin. So, I mean, those are important points. Well, you, you have to trust that the custodian they choose is going to manage and secure the Bitcoin, right? Because the ETF yeah. itself isn't going to actually do it. So you're, it's like you're trusting. Right, right. It's like trusting squared. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's yeah, really you're trusting the whole, this whole design, I guess you could say, which would be, that would be Coinbase, would be the custodian. Yeah, which is hilarious because Coinbase is a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> what was Armstrong's quote on the block size wars? If you want to Bitcoin to live on, you must adopt bitcoin uh i forget which fork it was but it was like bitcoin cash bigger blocks yeah, yeah he was a yeah. big blocker if, if if people in the audience don't know this big idiot the ceo of coinbase was supporting big blocks and you know just go look at the fucking bitcoin cash chart and you see how well that worked out so i mean this guy you know he doesn't he doesn't fucking know what's going on he doesn't understand it he doesn't get bitcoin he doesn't understand blockchain technology. He doesn't get it. Like he thinks that you can just fuck around with bigger blocks or have multiple chains, and you know it's going to be this like 
beautiful multi-chain world. He just doesn't fucking get it though. Right? Like he's been around for since the you know practically the beginning and he still doesn't fucking get it. So I don't know. Why would you trust, you know, what you think is your Bitcoin in his hands? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, his medium his collection of medium articles from like sixteen, seventeen is a treasure trove of like uh, they're still up. You can still find them if you look through them. And and he was on all the the hard fork options, not just landing eventually on Bitcoin Cash, but all the ones prior. Yeah, I think like a couple of years ago, I looked through the entire Coinbase website, and I was just like Control F Bitcoin on like every page and every blog, and I mean it was ridiculous, like the amount of educational resources. Um, with, towards Bitcoin compared to these other cryptocurrencies. I mean, it was maybe 5%. And then those educational resources were all back from the, uh, the block size wars. Like they hadn't updated any of them. And so even when you control F Bitcoin, it would be about some fork from the block size wars, like SegWit 2X or something. Um, and now it's interesting because they've actually revamped their entire website and there's a lot more Bitcoin education um, so I think maybe when they got under regulatory pressure, they wanted to say, hey, actually, we, we educate people on Bitcoin, too, because it's, you know, a commodity. Oh, shit. We have to start looking and actually looking like we're trying to educate people and not just pump a bunch of crap projects to steal your money. Dang it. Mike, what are you talking <laughs> about? Don't you don't you remember all those like, you know, learn about this shit coin and get three dollars? Yeah, that's Balaji. Yeah, man. That's Balaji's like, earned program. Education. Tons of education, bro. Learn all about. I used to learn that. And fucking. Yeah, it was like ten stupid <laughs> questions about the project that you could find on a quick Google search on Twitter, and then you get free stuff for it. He, he didn't, no, it's not even that bad. <laughs> just you could literally just guess, and if you got it wrong, they let you try again. So oh, yeah, I used to just. I used to do all those, and I would get like five bucks in some shitcoin, and then I would just sell it and buy Bitcoin. That was, you know, it was a little hack. I think I probably stacked like fifty bucks worth of Bitcoin that way. So thank you. Coinbase yeah. for your the, qu the questions were like this McGillicuddy token uh, does things in you know a uh, Rome B McGillicuddy world C some other thing and you're like uh, I'm gonna go Mad with Dog 2020 coin was a lot better <laughs> y'all don't know the shit coiner cycle by now the playbook pump Bitcoin in the bear market pump shit coins in the in the bull market come on guys well, I never really understood it because you, you look at their like SEC filings and Coinbase of Coinbase and Bitcoin still makes up like 50% of their revenues. So I don't know why they wouldn't want to educate people on their number one product they sell, but well, know, it's I'm not the number one product that people trade on their platform. And so if they educate them about it, people will stop trading it, which is why they don't want to educate them well, about it. Plus, Sam, you all, you also know why as well, is that they're getting these projects onto their platform for pennies on the dollar. Then they can sell them for like a hundred to a thousand X to like lame normie plebs that don't understand what they're buying and trading. That's why. Mm. True that. Because like even well, like we'll see if that can CZ, continue. Well, CZ like publicly talked about like for example on Binance like there would be like a fee like, like the projects would have to pay like a ten or a fifty grand fee in order to get their little shit coin on like exchange like onto his exchange in order to be traded, and then it's just off to the races from there. Oh yeah, it was uh, 
hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars. He admitted on a pomp podcast back in 2018. Cause I did a bunch of like research into finance recently and the listing policies were always so crazy to me because what the finance actually did was they didn't even do the due diligence internally. They would basically tell these, uh, you know, crypto teams to hire a lawyer and then the lawyer themselves, it'd be like hiring a fox to guard the hen house because the, they would hire a lawyer to basically say, hey, we're not a security. And then Binance would go, oh, okay, that's good enough for us. We'll list you and uh, you know, take hundreds of thousands of dollars and list you. And then the recent uh, SEC uh, complaint basically showed that CZ would take his market-making firms, go over and wash trade whenever they listed these tokens. So there's like 65 instances that they found in the SEC complaint where they take the tokens. This is what we all talked about, by the way, but now there's actually proof apparently of where you you take the tokens and then you take the market-making firms and you wash trade, pump the volumes up to make it seem like, you know, there's more volume than there is and to to pump these listed tokens up. Sam, isn't it funny how uh, all of us Bitcoiners have been talking about this for like six years straight and everybody, including in the crypto space, is just like, no, you guys are paranoid. Like that stuff's not happening. It's a bunch of nonsense. Like, oh, okay. All right. Oh, the maxis, the maxis. I mean, it's to see it in the SEC complaints and then actually like how they, you know, have Merit Peak and, and uh, what is it? Something Sigma. Um, they're actually doing it, uh, you know, and actually timing it so that when it's, the list, the tokens are being listed. That's when the wash trading happens with these market making firms. It happened when they were um, when they were launching Binance US, where they found a ton of activity of wash trading because they wanted to make that seem like a success. They found it on like 65 instances when cryptocurrencies get listed in specific tokens where the wash trading happened. And then when they were trying to raise money, they would do a bunch of wash trading to you know pump their trading volumes to attract capital. Um, so, yep. That all, that's what the SEC is alleging occurred, and that's what Bitcoiners had sp- suspected was occurring uh, for a long time. I don't know. You guys just seem like you're anti-innovation. <laughs> well, this also goes back to why um, these ETF filings are arguing why they should have an ETF, uh, because by not having these, you know, quote-unquote safer um, ways to gain exposure to Bitcoin, you know, obviously we just recommend buying it, like yada, yada, yada. But by not having these safer ones for people to access it, it pushes people offshore into these exchanges that are performing these nefarious activities. And so they actually say that in the, in the, the filings themselves. And so, yeah. How, how many normies do you really think have figured out how to like use a VPN to get an account in Binance to, you know, buy well, you Bitcoin just help finance. I mean, like, are you serious? You know what I'm saying? Like, people don't do that. Like, you know, people are doing what, you know, you know what people are doing. So fucking using exchanges like FTX to buy Bitcoin, right? Let's see how that goes. <laughs> or they're fucking putting their Bitcoin on, on places like Celsius to get a fucking yield. So, I mean, it's like, how about we clean up what's going up, going on at home, right? And then, like, I don't know. Well, I mean, you can clean up both things if you want, but... It's just, I don't know. It's it's stupid. It's just all so fucking stupid. So so Gary does a does a you know teaches a class at MIT on Bitcoin. Gary Gensler obviously understands Bitcoin. He he talks about Bitcoin being the the only commodity versus all the other shit coins that are that are securities really. 
Um, maybe there's a few others that he talks about being or doesn't really talk about, but that are commodities, but whatever. Why what what is what what is his motivation for not allowing a Bitcoin ETF? I mean, it just seems a little strange to me that when somebody understands Bitcoin, that they don't that they that they go down this road. Well, Peter, let me ask you this question. Why do you want a Bitcoin ETF since you understand Bitcoin? Like, what is it about a Bitcoin ETF that is so attractive if you can just buy it? Yourself I, I don't I don't it? really care one way or the other, to be honest but, with you. But what I'm saying is you understand Bitcoin, correct? Uh, want, I have a little understanding want, of Bitcoin, yes. OK, do you want a Bitcoin ETF? Do you really want it? You think it'd be good for Bitcoin? Because I, I personally kind of don't like. I think it's just gonna, it's gonna raise the bar of fuck around and find out, you know, a re, <laughs> like whatever. It's like, like people are just gonna, like it's just gonna get things more fucking. I would crazy. rather, I would rather have a spot Bitcoin ETF than the futures Bitcoin ETF. I'd rather have neither. And how about people just fucking learn how to take Bitcoin into self custody instead of relying yeah, but, on? Yeah, but they, you but know, they approve the, they approve the futures one, but they don't approve the spot. And I'm just trying to to like understand what the motivation is behind that it just seems strange to me especially since the the head of the sec clearly has a good understanding of what bitcoin is i mean if institutions all of a sudden start snapping up all the bitcoin do you think that's good or bad for bitcoin here's the good news there's nothing we can do to stop it we can want whatever we want, but Bitcoin is a voluntary network. People are free to come and go as they please. People are free to come in whenever they want. Well, institutions that's the good news. Aren't, aren't at the moment, right? They have to go through, you know, hoops to do it, right? Like Sailor. So that's the thing is like as soon as you open up the floodgate, then you make it super easy for institutions to start snapping up Bitcoin. And what I'm saying is like it, maybe it's kind of a good thing that it's like a little difficult for them to do that because – I don't know about you. I like getting Bitcoin cheap. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, my bags are not packed yet. So, um, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> Gensler. Because, I mean, like, you know, he's, he's helping out the plebs right now. What's up, Tone? Tone, you got your hand up? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so so I want to comment on a couple of things. So the reason why everyone kind of secretly wants a Bitcoin ETF, even if uh, even when they publicly can be skeptical on it, is because uh, it is going to rise the price of Bitcoin. I mean, it's uh, just from the speculation element alone, and uh, not to mention actually taking Bitcoin off the market, right? So uh, uh, I I personally don't really want the Bitcoin ETF, but at the same time, I do want the price of Bitcoin to rise. Uh, so it's, uh, and also I'm not in control, right? Like we can talk about what we want and we don't want all day long. Uh, we don't control what's going to happen. This is what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin is that if the institutional markets want to create a Bitcoin ETF, there's nothing we can do to stop them. Okay. We're not going to fork the coins to piss off BlackRock uh, and have them lose all the coins that they bought into the ETF. So that's on the ETF side. So the reason why the futures uh market and the futures, I guess, ETFs based on futures are uh, approved and not a spot ETF. It's completely different, not only for the retail investor, 
and technically the SEC is supposed to watch out for the retail investor. Uh, but also, in the case of the futures, no Bitcoin actually changes hands. Even the CME futures, which I was pissed off at, if you're going to create a real CME future, it needs to exchange the Bitcoin at the end of the future, uh, like they do with gold futures and oil futures, like actual oil gets exchanged, actual gold gets exchanged. But in a Bitcoin futures ETF, and then all of these, uh, oh, sorry, in a Bitcoin CME futures, and then the ETFs based on that, you only exchange cash. So this is where the regulator said, okay, if people are only going to exchange cash, then we don't actually have to deal with the risk of storing Bitcoin. And as we're all discussing prime trust this week, this is the risk of storing Bitcoin. I always said that a Bitcoin spot ETF is not going to be approved anytime soon because who's going to secure the Bitcoin? Clearly, it's more challenging than securing like nuclear weapons, right? Because no one can seems to be able to keep a hold on them, uh, at least on these institutions. Uh, let's hope that they're all there in Coinbase custody. Hey, mor morning, guys. I a uh, question on that. And Tone, great to hear from you. I feel like it's been a while since uh, we were on at the same time. Uh, has anyone seen actual comments from regulators that said um, – along the lines of what you were saying, Tone, that they were concerned about who would actually custody the Bitcoin. I understand your point that it is a concern in yeah. reality. I'm just wondering if the regulators have explicitly said that. Yeah, they did. They said it in one of the rejections, I think, to the Winklevi twins or one of the other ones that came out. I think not their original request, uh, but in one of the later requests. Uh, this, I remember covering it on, on my new show like three years ago yeah. or something. Uh, this was mentioned. That was, um, that was, it used to be the fact that there weren't like real qualified custodians as well as the lack of surveillance sharing agreements and the risk of market manipulation and fraud in the spot markets. But then you had like BNY Mellon come out and, um, state street fidelity, you know, that I feel like that's been kind of solved. And right. Then, but, but, but in the last six months we've had FTX and now prime trust. Right, but I mean, what I'm saying but is... that negates that, right? Because FTX was the regulatory darling, right? Like, had the SEC approved the Bitcoin ETF uh, a year ago, they might have allowed FTX to custody the Bitcoin. <laughs> Maybe. So, so has anybody really answered the question that I asked about why Gary Gensler has been denying these ETFs, the spot ETFs. I mean, I know Wicked shot stuff back at me. Thank you, Wicked. No, no, Whatever, he's just looking fuck, up. He's, he didn't he's answer the fucking the question. He's looking out for the Peter, I've been explaining this to you the whole time. What are you talking about? You didn't hear my it's the lack of, lack of surveillance sharing agreements, and they are scared of market manipulation and fraud in the spot markets. That's why that's their reasoning for why they're not approving a spot Bitcoin ETF. I mean, Gensler just seems kind of like a nice guy. I think he's just looking out for us. They're doing that ice cream truck gag that Eddie Murphy used to talk about, where they just, you know, they keep going a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. John, what are your takeaways from this, man? Who's How Eddie Murphy? Peter knows. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, from all this, uh, I feel like there's different ways to slice and dice the conversation here. You could talk about chances of regulatory approval, why hasn't it been approved. That's kind of one subtopic. But then there's the conversation of like, what does it do for price? What does it do for adoption? That's like another topic. Then there's the whole longer term uh, question of like, what does it mean for the health and potential centralization of the Bitcoin network? So there's like a lot of different ways to potentially analyze this. That that last question is obviously the most complex and the most speculative because uh, you're guessing about what kind of uptake this uh, product would have, what uh, motivations an entity like BlackRock or some other entity would have for uh uh, changing the Bitcoin network to suit their their views and the views of others. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways to take it. Uh, but um, bigger picture, I will say this, you know, and reading some of your recent stuff, Sam, this does to me seem like institutions getting into Bitcoin for real this time. And maybe they back off a little bit in some ways, but this does feel very different than the 2017, 2018 timeframe when institutions were like, quote unquote, getting into Bitcoin. But uh, I remember my former firm, Goldman, they announced like a trading desk for Bitcoin and crypto. And then like literally weeks later, the price of Bitcoin crashed and then they scrapped those plans. Like it was just so superficial. Um, but this time it seems like th these are uh, bigger moves that... Uh, and, and comments from senior people at these entities like Larry Fink recently, this doesn't just seem, and they're not even doing it after a big run up in price. So I, I think this actually is the institutions getting involved. I think it's going to be a conversation that we're going to be having for many, many months to come. Yeah, I looked into, um, I mean, John, I'm sure you saw it, but I, I was just curious because obviously we've been in Bitcoin for a while and we've just had these traditional financial institutions uh, slander Bitcoin um, for years and years. And they outright warned people about Bitcoin, told investors to avoid Bitcoin, um, all kinds of names against Bitcoin. Anyone That's what I love about Bitcoin is anybody who bought and held Bitcoin, let's say since 2017, they inherently have to be critical thinkers because they had to do the work because if they would have just listened to the mainstream media and the headlines, they would have never bought Bitcoin. And so the holder base is full of people who actually think for themselves and, and do the work themselves because there's just no way. And so when I looked at the headlines from like BlackRock, I mean, you got, you know, Larry Fink says Bitcoin is an index for money laundering in 2017, says it's going to be, it's a fraud. It's going to fail in 2018. Deutsche Bank saying uh, investors should avoid Bitcoin in 2017, um, warning that the end of Bitcoin is going to happen in 2020. Uh, Santander Bank was preventing Bitcoin traders. Um, they were terminating accounts of Bitcoin traders and limiting Bitcoin payments. And, and now they're publishing lightning research. Um, and it goes on and on. You got Citadel calling Bitcoin a tulip bubble mania and a jihadist call against the greenback. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's what I love about Bitcoin because it's like the one asset where retail investors really could front run the institutions this time. And I think that's beautiful to see. And, uh, I think these institutions are waking up to the fact that they're 
they're kind of late to the game here and uh, they're starting to build out infrastructure and they're trying to um, kind of position themselves before this next bull run. Yeah. They're trying to keep as many people right under the regime and under the fiat, you know, slavery system, right. They want to manipulate and, you know, brainwash everybody into thinking that Bitcoin's bad. It's the only asset that you can ever own. They know that they they always lie to us. Right. Just like you were saying, Sam, they continuously put out lies and we continuously listen to them. Right. And we continue like people continuously listen to them, except for Bitcoiners. Right. It gives us more conviction. Right. If they fight it so hard, why are they fighting Bitcoin? Why are they talking so bad about Bitcoin? And then, as you said, years later, now they're setting up infrastructure. They're going to pack their bags first and then they're going to let the retail come in. Right. And that's when it's more out of reach and it's way more expensive. So I think we need to I said this earlier um, in a tweet, I said. We need a fast from social, not social media, but mainstream media, right? Jamie Dimon said Bitcoin is whatever he's going to fire anybody that, and I tweeted this as well as a video. He said he's going to fire anybody, uh, any of his employees that is trading Bitcoin. He has a company in Europe that bought Bitcoin right when he said that. And they have, they have proof to say that. And, you know, Jim, Jim Cramer does the same thing, the inverse Jim Cramer. You know, they're, the retailers, the liquidity. And, you know, they whatever they say to do, the mainstream media says to do, you need to do the opposite. And, you know, it's, it's just appalling that we continue to listen to, you know, mainstream media. Yeah. On the other hand, I'd fire anybody who was trading Bitcoin, too. Like, what a dummy. But, yeah, I love hearing those those headlines, Sam. It's like when you look at it, when you go back and you look through through time, I love watching these people get wrecked. Like, that's the thing that I love about Bitcoin. One of my favorite aspects of it is and you don't learn it till you like know it for a while is. Like when you try to attack Bitcoin or you try to harm Bitcoin, or even sometimes if you just try to avoid Bitcoin once you know about it, like you get wrecked, you're going to get wrecked. And, you know, it's, it's hilarious to watch them come around. It's like Bitcoin's a strange game. The only winning move is to play. Yeah, I saw uh, Vice News always used to have negative articles against Bitcoin, and now they just filed for bankruptcy. <laughs> Bitcoin outlasts all of its critics. <laughs> There's a and, um, there. The famous line of the famous lines. My bad, Mike. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry, dude. I literally just said my bad. You go ahead, dude. <laughs> we all love this point, obviously. It's awesome yeah. to watch. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying our famous line is that, you know, we always say we told you so. And, it, you know, Bitcoiners are continuously proven right. So, you know, we just continue to say have fun staying poor. And we told you so. I cannot wait to see Peter Zeehan eat his fucking words. That fucking sanctimonious bastard. Or uh, who, 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 whoa, whoa, Sam? whoa, Peter, whoa. Sam, who's, the, who's, the, who's the macro guy? The uh, his last name starts with Zoltan. Taleb. I'm, I'm, I'm no. I'm looking for Zoltan Pozar to uh, come around to the point of accepting that he was wrong. He, I, I feel like he's kind of just. At the Bitcoin conference, he basically said he hasn't done enough work yet. He's at that stage. I haven't heard him like, you know, talk out against it. I feel like he's, unless he's you like, have Mike, he, I don't know. You, well, you, you get you, you get my like line of reasoning though, because a lot of like the TradFi FinTwit guys rely on his explicit word as gospel. And if he like he if he actually pivots, that's going to be massive. Well, he did write that one, sorry, but he wrote that one paper where he dug into, you know, the business plans for a multi-CBDC system. And he did have some, you know, more neutral to positive language about Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. 
he's talked about how the reason investors, you know, Bitcoin investors talk about quantitative easing and the deficits and how they're just going to keep printing money. Um, he kind of just spoke more positively about it in that, but I don't think he's there yet, Mike, but you're right. He like, people just take his word as gospel and he's a smart guy. Um, and so if he turned into Bitcoin, I mean, I think it w would make some waves. He's pretty influential. I I'm talking about Zhan, Peter Zhan, the 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 guy who's supposed. I know. I know. Who, expert. We know. We know. I know who you're talking about, Peter. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but the thing about Bitcoin is a mirror. So like, also, there's people who at first make bad, you know, points about Bitcoin and have bad, uneducated opinions knee-jerk reactions and some people can swallow their pride and say they're wrong and then like howard marks i just posted this and then some people dig their heels in because they have egos like uh peter zion like a uh, taleb and uh that's when you get bitcoin derangement syndrome and that is a very very serious syndrome you don't want to you don't want to have that <laughs> bitcoin derangement syndrome that's awesome bds we just lived through that dancing meme. They don't even know that I'm talking about Peter Zahan. Yes, we do. We don't care. <laughs> Maybe a positive thing to come out from this, and this is probably wishful thinking, but if people can become aware of what Sam just laid out, you know, these people in TradFi from these very powerful entities, what they were just saying about Bitcoin, you know, definitely five, six years ago, but sometimes as recently as two, three years ago. And then they turn around and they're trying to build some platform to uh, offer people access to it, whether it's an exchange, whether it's an ETF, whatever. Um, like anyone who's looking at that, you, you would think they would say, are, are these the people that I want to be buying Bitcoin from? Like they, they just kind of changed their tune. Um, and this is not the first time that, these entities have done things that would consider them to be not trustworthy, you know, going back to the financial crisis and having no idea that that was happening and making the financial crisis so much worse. Um, whether it was the, you know, U S bank, uh, crises just recently banks getting caught off sides. Like these entities aren't trustworthy entities to get good information from or to kind of use them as a counterparty. So hopefully people see that. And if, if people can get educated on that and then see, okay, not only are these not people that I want to take advice from, but once I start to understand Bitcoin a little bit and you realize that owning the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF is significantly, significantly worse than just owning Bitcoin itself, you know, again, I hope maybe it's wishful thinking, but I hope that people can see this in some medium somewhere and put it all together and say, the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF is not for me. But uh, that might take years to play out. I have a question. Um, so you have seen all these institutions start to pivot and change their messaging around Bitcoin. How much do you think it's their you know, internal belief, like they actually believe in this technology of Bitcoin? Or are they just responding to their clients that are demanding um, ways to buy Bitcoin? It's a response. Yeah. I think it's I think it's more response because I think what Bitcoin is 
And it, you know, it might take years and years for us to get to Bitcoin being a dominant form of sound money that's used all over the world. But if, if that's the path we're headed on, that is fundamentally at odds with TradFi, Wall Street, whatever you want to call it. And, and like almost every aspect of their, uh, if, take one of these big banks. So let's say just like broadly speaking, let's say they have an asset management arm. Let's say they have a retail and commercial banking arm. Let's say they have what would be called securities division or sales and trading. And let's say they have investment banking. Literally all four of those benefit from the central bank fiat system <laughs> in a major, major way. Uh, the asset management arm, fiat forces people into investing rather than just saving money. Therefore, they like fiat. Uh, commercial banking, obviously having the Fed as a backstop, uh, it, the fiat system is good there. Um, they don't want to go into this sound money system. Uh, securities division, sales and trading, that's kind of like asset management, but instead of managing money for a client, you're their counterparty. So the more that clients have to trade and invest, the better the securities division. And then investment banking, uh, think of like low interest rates and all this debt funded M&A that happened in the last 15 years. Like it's been great times for investment banking in the QE, low interest rate fiat world. So <clears throat> for, for an entity that has these business lines, for them to actually understand Bitcoin and say, yeah, we want to move towards that, that world, um, I think it's just completely at odds with how they make profits. Well, and, and John, if, if, you're a, if you're a pleb or you, you don't have to be a pleb, but if you're somebody who actually wants like real hyper-Bitcoinization in the sense of like bringing down the pillars of the fiat like church, um, you actually want these institutions to be getting in because of as a, as a response to demand versus them understanding Bitcoin like in some sort of complete sense. Because if they, if they um, are bringing on these products and they understand Bitcoin like we do, there's a likelihood of them trying to game the system and strategize to be able to uh, like either control Bitcoin or some other sense. But if, they, if they're bringing it on just as a response by their constituents, then there's a likelihood that you can actually sneak Bitcoin in as an actual effective Trojan horse. Yeah, agree, agreed there. Um... But yeah, I, I tend to agree with that, Mike. I'm, I'm curious if anyone sees it potentially another way, but uh, I have a really hard time seeing a scenario where banks are like, yeah, we understand sound money and we want to help bring about that kind of world. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, it's probably more of a response to client demand. But one, one of the interesting uh, news headlines was from Santander Bank. Uh, it's like the largest Spanish bank. And it was just interesting because they actually released like educational resources around the Lightning Network um, on their website. It was, and you know, they they just received licensing um, for to be a crypto custodian, but also they they had a really positive, you know, internal educational resource for Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. So that was interesting to me. So I would say that's another one. I mentioned four big. Uh, business lines that a big U.S. bank or any bank would have. A fifth one, I, I think you could argue, would be payments. But you know, whether it's credit card or whatever form of payments, and I think the Lightning Network is going to be disrupting that, or whatever other scaling technologies on on Bitcoin is going to disrupt that. And again, it would be hard for me to see 
banks welcoming that as something that they actually want to move towards. Uh, I suppose maybe the counter argument to this is they see it coming and they just want to get ahead of it because it's like, if you can't beat them, join them type thing. But I would really doubt that because that to me would basically mean that these banks are like hardcore Bitcoiners and they think hyper Bitcoinization is coming at some point and they're like, well, shit, we got to get in now. And I, I just don't think there's enough true Bitcoiners at these firms for them to think that way. Exactly. You would know, John. You would know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, more, more likely Were you than not. You felt kind of alone at Goldman, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I th maybe it has changed, you know, in the last few years, but more likely than not, anyone who is sharing uh, principles of sound money just gets laughed at. Um, it, it is interesting, though. Things are changing a little bit. And like you said, Sam, the, the research piece from Santander is, is one of many examples. But even in the research piece, I think sometimes you see that's where you can see people deviate from narratives is like, oh, they just put out a research piece. Because sometimes there are genuinely curious people at these banks and they put together some research piece and, you know, maybe it doesn't turn into an actual business line at the bank for years. So, you know, maybe Santander is not going to get deeply involved in, in the Lightning Network anytime soon, but someone did put together a research piece on it. I mean, we even see that at the, uh, at the Fed. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up today at, at some point was a research piece that the Fed put out uh, just last week about 37% of firms being distressed and they defined it as firms close to default. So uh, my point in bringing this up, and we can go more into the report if we want to, but sometimes you do see entities put out a piece of research that's like a moment of sanity and honesty for them. Um, it doesn't mean everyone at that institution necessarily believes with it or that it like means the institution is completely changing direction. But uh, yeah, you, sometimes you could see a research piece that, that kind of fits those characteristics. hundred percent. It reminds me of when the bank of Canada actually put out a really in-depth piece on the lightning network. Um, I think last year and um Yep. You're totally right, John. Also, Sam, did you talk about your recent thread on the BIS report? If you haven't, I feel like that would be a good one to chat about for a little bit. No, no, we hadn't talked about that. But I, I do think that everyone should give that a read for a lot of different reasons. This is the, the biz annual report. They put it out every year. Um, it's like 100 90 pages or something. But I thought there was like three interesting things that I saw. First off, like a lot of it um, read like a warning to central banks and governments about the current levels of inflation and debt. And I thought one of the interesting things was they basically admitted, they said, with the benefit of hindsight, the extraordinary monetary and fiscal stimulus deployed during the pandemic, while justified at the time as an insurance policy, appears too large, too broad, and too long-lasting, it contributed to the inflation surge and to the current financial vulnerabilities. And so you have like a lot of central bankers who have refused, or and government and politicians basically refuse to acknowledge that their policies have contributed to this rise of inflation in any way. Um, 
and the business coming out here and saying, no, it was too large, it was too broad, and it was too long-lasting. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting was they basically explained how a too loose fiscal policy combined with a too easy monetary policy is what can lead to higher inflation and crises. And this is what Lynn Alden really talks about, how when that's combined, that's when you start to see inflation. And and it's really because they kind of reinforce each other. Um, So easy monetary policy can induce the government to build up more debt. And then expansionary fiscal policy can make it harder for monetary policy to be as tight as necessary. And then how these things can kind of reinforce each other over time and lead to crises. And then oftentimes, sovereign debt crises, systemic banking crises, and currency crises happened at the same time. And so this was all in like the first 100 pages of this biz report. And um, I don't know if anyone has thoughts about that, but I thought it was just pretty kind of uh, astounding how like honest they were and and how they were basically saying, hey, we got to fix these things because we're going to lose trust. And if society loses trust in the state and central banks, we're in a world of hurt. Yeah, I think it's I think it's another good example. Sometimes you do get moments of clarity and honesty from these institutions who the people in this space, you know, we're no fans of these these institutions. We don't trust them. Um, but it doesn't mean every word they put out is nonsense. Uh, you know, they're not they're not necessarily just completely fabricating everything they say. Um, and, and Sam, I liked uh, Ansel Lindner had a summary of your of your tweet where he said, "BIS governments and central banks are untrustworthy and have ruined the current system." But also the BIS, our fantasy new system needs government and central banks for trust and competent management. Like they're just trying to claim both of these things at the same time. And it's like if if someone read the beginning of this report, as you outlined, Sam, you would come away thinking like, I can't possibly trust these entities to manage this system. But then in the second half of the report, there's like, here's how we're going to manage this system. Please trust us. It's just crazy to me. Yeah, and that's, that's really a good summary from Ansel. It's, uh, it, the whole piece contradicts itself. I mean, it's really delusional. It's like the first 100 pages are all about how fragile the system is and, and how they're losing trust um, because of their irresponsible policies. And then the second half is about this new CBDC system, this unified ledger, and how Bitcoin can't be the future of monetary system because it lacks the trust provided by the central banks. And, uh, you know, you need the central banks at the center of this new system to provide that trust. And so it's it's really <laughs> quite astounding because it's just like, do the, it's like, did two separate parts of the biz write this report and they just combined it and nobody kind of like read if it actually made sense when you combine these two sections? Well, it's... it comes off more as like a rallying call for the central banks than to try and like sell the idea. Yeah. Public is what it comes off as. That's actually a good, yeah, it did. It was like a rallying call to like either start being more responsible so that we don't lose trust so that we can be the center of this new system that's coming about. Or are we risk being completely uh, disintermediated and uh, Bitcoin's going to take our lunch, basically, eat our lunch? Well, it's also, it's also a good dipsy doodle in the sense of like when you like, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty common tactic by like con men and thieves and scammers is to like, open up with like, 
hey yeah we did we were doing something wrong yeah we're like we we learned our lesson we're, we're not we're not gonna like we're we're worthy of trust now and then you just sneak in and with like some clever wording that you're not changing anything about what you're doing and you're gonna keep doing what you were doing oh you're talking about the yoki doke is that the official name for that down here it is Y'all come hey, back. Um, Yo, hey, speaking of trust and excess currency uh, from COVID, uh, did you guys see the article about the, uh, this may be something that's not new, but China with the uh, the uh, 3 trillion of uh, currency that they just have stashed away. What they, they called it like, uh, there was a name they used for it. And, and just, uh, I wonder if you guys saw that or had any thoughts on that. I think I may have seen the headline you're talking about. It's something like China has more significantly more FX reserves than everyone thought or, or something like that. Does that sound right, Tom? Yeah, Bloomberg put it out. I can send it. It was that they had $3 trillion in hidden reserves of foreign currency that they weren't putting on the book. Which, if, if it's true... Um, I mean, we can analyze what that means for China specifically and other countries specifically. But if it is true, or even just the fact that it's being debated, is kind of interesting because a lot of times you see these big macro geopolitical, you know, global central bank stats about what currencies people hold, what they have in reserve assets. And if, if some one of these numbers can just be off by a huge amount, it kind of throws cold water on, on all these stats, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, interesting to see. I mean, that's, that's no small number, right? Uh, you know, as far as like total uh, circulating currency, um, to be interesting to see, I'm looking more into it. I just saw it today. I didn't really get a chance to really fully vet the article, but um, thought it was interesting with what Sam was saying about the report that came out about how, you know, the, the, the injection in COVID was too much for too long. And then, and then combined with this trust of governments, I mean, that's nothing new for China, the debate, but if they are stashing uh, 3 trillion tucked away in a shoebox, uh, definitely interesting for global liquidity. To me, I just think about how nobody knows how many dollars are in the system and it's so it's so opaque if only there was another money that was more transparent where we need the supply might be better sam that reminds me of uh i had a, a tweet the other day i think it was just yesterday about why i think adjusting nominal gdp for a price level percentage change and then coming up with quote unquote real growth yeah, i think it's total nonsense but then someone who uh, disagreed with me on Twitter was like, well, why don't you just adjust it for uh, the amount of new money that was created? And I don't think I, I'm not even sure if I responded to them, but one that wouldn't make sense to adjust for like the percentage increase of new money. But two is there is no way in the current system to really have a grasp on exactly what the quote unquote money supply is. I mean, we have all these metrics like whatever M1, M2, et cetera. 
but that's not perfect. It's not an observable number. There's like money substitutes that come in all different shapes and sizes. And uh, it is not a system where we can just be like, oh, how much money was there today? And how much money was there last year? Uh, it, it is very opaque, as, as, uh, as many people have pointed out. But um, that is one of the many flaws of the current system. Hey guys, I'm gonna get going. Uh, it was fun hanging out. Uh, I see Joe is back. What happened? Why you didn't get to speak about your Mario spaces? <laughs> no, I did. I did. And then I had a call, and then I, it just evolved into a mess. No, I, I spoke for about 20 minutes there, so um, nothing surprising. Always crazy there. Sure, wish you would have joined me, Tony. It's always fun in Mario spaces. No, I've been in Mario spaces like a dozen times. I don't think cumulatively I've gotten to speak for 20 minutes, so that's why I don't go there anymore. Hey, Joe, not to, I'm, I'm going to bring this all the way back, but I wanted to ask you this before you left. You said you looked at previous ETF filings and that yes, they sir. had similar language to the surveillance sharing agreements. Yes. But did they, was that just with like, they, they were arguing they were just going to do the CME or were they going to add on a spot, you know, work with a U.S. spot exchange? Yeah, one was Gemini. I thought that was the new. The Gemini. Oh, Gemini. One? Yeah. Um, there was another one that listed Coinbase as being the reference rate. I, let me pull them up because I did, I did this on a Google Doc. Um, I mean, uh, look, at the end of the day, if you take, and, and I, I think it was Terrence maybe who shared this chart, maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, um, Terrence, but the, if you take uh -huh. like total to global spot volume, uh -huh. okay, and, and you compare it, right, the, on good days, good days, Coinbase gets to like 20% of global spot, okay? And the standard is in the appellate court opinion, right? Uh, the standard in the appellate court opinion says you need to have surveillance sharing agreements with a market of sufficient size. So then, you know, as a lawyer, okay, well, what, do you, what is your impression of sufficient size? The SEC actually defines it and articulates it. I think it's like page 25 of their appellate court brief, which you can go pull up and read in the grayscale case. They're, they're, they're explaining their position to a, a panel of federal court appellate judges. Okay. So, you, you know, it's important to read what they're saying because that's their policy. And if they're going to change their policy, uh, they would probably file an amendment to their briefing in, in the grayscale case. So they define it. They think sufficient market size means that it, this is again their their interpretation they think it means that it has to be as such that if a guy was attempting an irrational actor was trying to manipulate the spot market he would necessarily have to trade on that exchange okay so let's apply that re what does that mean so like say tone and i want to manipulate the bitcoin spot market and we would say well do we have to trade on coinbase to do that manipulation? And the answer is no. We could take 80% of the other volume uh, that's out there in the marketplace and we could trade on those exchanges. And I'm pretty sure Coinbase would, you know, some people would arbit out and that would be affected if I'm, you know, manipulating the price on Binance. That it's not like Coinbase can stand apart from that and not be affected. So under the, their own framework that's put forward, 
you know, you can just apply a real, real test. Would it, was someone seeking to manipulate the market? Would they necessarily have to trade on Coinbase? And the answer is no. They, that, by their own definition, that uh, doesn't meet what the SEC is looking for of a market of sufficient size. But Joe, uh, it's Foss. Sorry to, I, I, I didn't want to lose you before you left. Watch the Elliot interview. He appre, he, uh, he. Uh, I was there. His, I, no, 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 not you, sir. I was not there. You. Of course, you were there. I'm telling other people to watch it because it's five different markets at five minute intervals. He explains it really well. Look, I, I don't. No, I, no, we no, have no, our no, bet. But, but, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, Greg. You're right, but you, you, you know as well as I do what Ellie's describing there is. He's describing the, the what he put in place for the spot ETF in Canada. Okay. And that's, am I mistaken to say that BlackRock is using the same mechanism? No. Yes, you are mistaken. BlackRock has a surveillance sharing agreement with NASDAQ and Coinbase. Okay. NASDAQ. Okay, I, I get yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. But then he talked about the the Kraken, the Kraken exchanges. No, it's, uh, they use the CF benchmark index, which is owned by that Kraken. is correct. The CF benchmark index. Correct, and, and but but just just to recall, okay, uh, Section Six B Five of the Exchange Act, which is what's operative here, their analog in Canada does not require this reading of sufficient market size. It's not in there, so you're applying a different law in Canada. Um, you know that's probably better law uh, than what the SDC is applying. Interesting. Anyway, we're done on our bet. And Terrence, you're done 21 to 1 on 90 days as well. Okay. So I am now on, I now have two counterparty risks with clowns on Swan Spaces. Uh, Terrence, you're done at 21 to 1 on, yes. uh, okay. You're done at 21 to 1 on 90 days. So we'll settle that up at Pacific Bitcoin. And Joe, I'm coming to your house for Christmas because we're going to settle up our bet. And that's what happens when you have counterparty risk, you stupid fucks. Uh, no, no, no. Sorry. I didn't say that. I love you guys. <laughs> now, who was it that bet that TCU was going to beat the Bulldogs? Not sure, but I wanted them, but I certainly didn't bet on them. You can't bet against the dogs. Come on. All right. The odds were way out, out, out. They weren't even close to what you would need for TCU to beat Georgia. Not even close. Someone had a field day oh, on that, on those odds. I, I remember that. <laughs> And I remember that someone prominent bet on TCU and got their asses handed to them. And I forget who it is. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I don't know who it was. Do me a favor. Do me a favor, Peter. Sorry to interrupt. Do me a favor. Someone get there's so many things. I tweeted around our bet, Joe, and the 10 to 1 odds are flying around. I want to be a buyer. I want to be a seller. I want to be a buyer. This is how markets are made at 10 to 1. There's lots of action to be filled at 10 to 1 on our bet, Joe. You and I are, are done. But we, we, we really should just sell all our Bitcoin, just start gambling every day. That seems No, this right. is how markets yes. are made. It's not gambling. These are markets, people. It's probabilities. Markets aren't fucking gambling. It's probability analysis. Well, well by that definition, Texas Hold'em, which is all about probabilities, isn't gambling. It's just that. Uh, no, it's, it's not. Skill. It's it's a game of skill. Except the house takes the house takes the house takes their big. The house takes their big. Yeah. Okay. Here, I can I can I can settle this for you guys if you want. I think the difference between probabilities and gambling is maybe somebody who's professional with tons of experience and understanding of the markets versus somebody like me who's a complete noob. So something Joe said triggered a question for me. I just have a quick question. 
Um, what is sufficient size market? Like, when do you think Bitcoin would be a market that they could then actually create an ETF for? Because, for example, right now, like, can't we say the same thing about their all their other ETFs that are all manipulated, where all the market structures are probably manipulated by people like, uh, you know, professional traders okay. and so, institutions? So- I'm I'm going to give you the ridiculous logic of the SEC. All due respect to the SEC, the 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 SEC attorney conceded in the oral argument that the job of the SEC is not to prevent market manipulation. Believe it or not, that's their position. They say, "Listen, we we, we can't prevent them all markets from being manipulated. It's an impossible task. Our job is to be able to detect the manipulation." So, how does that relate to traditional securities markets? Well, the vast majority of volume of traditional securities markets, okay, upwards of 90%, occurs on exchanges where there are surveillance sharing agreements. In fact, there's laws requiring it in many circumstances. And that's, you know, one of the, the bedrocks of our you know, current financial system is this ability in mo- to monitor and detect fraud. So, you know, to answer your question, okay, when will it, would it, would it change for Bitcoin? You'd have to have two things, one, one of two things developed. Either they... They don't apply this heightened standard, which I think is is ridiculous for a global marketplace like Bitcoin and the nature of how the asset trades. They just change, which is possible, right? They could just say, you know what? We're not going to keep applying that old ridiculous logic. It was wrong. We're going to move to a different standard. That's one option. Or alternatively, you get some sort of surveillance sharing agreement that the industry self-imposes across all Bitcoin platforms, including Binance and including the major players, uh, whereby that would all be self-reported on a regular, consistent basis, and the exchanges would agree to consent to the jurisdiction of the SEC. Right now, we could have a spot ETF in the United States tomorrow if Binance woke up and said, you know what, we're going to fully comply with U.S. regulators. We're going to do whatever they want. We're going to have open books. Everybody can hear. You could have people from the SEC at Binance, wherever its headquarters are, and its you know jurisdictionless uh, exchange. If they were to do that, then guess what? We get a spot ETF tomorrow. There's no basis for denying it. You can see everything. There's no chance that someone could manipulate this because everybody's all uh, or no no chance that they could manipulate it without being detected. There's no chance for that because you were an open book. But people in this industry are very hesitant to do that, right? Hey, real quick, Foss, I put a uh, one of your tweets up in the nest there to jog your memory. I just had a quick follow on there, uh, Joe. Question: This sufficient size and first time here, you know, with Coinbase, you're saying you know has twenty percent, um, where the eighty percent obviously can be manipulated. Uh, you know, with Blackstone and everyone else going into this, they must have known that was one reason it would be shot down. Did, were they just trying to do something? Oh, no, no, no. Listen, and I've said this for weeks now. Go back in my Twitter thread, okay? If you if if you're in this position and there's a ten, you know. Go back to probabilities. Say there's a 20% or 15% probability that you get some great ruling from the SEC versus Grayscale case. The SECs could change their policy, and you don't want to be behind the gun with that. You want to be out in front with a registration statement on file because you know the regulator is going to drag their feet as much as possible. Okay, that that is the key. So it's a very simple calculation, guys. Like, you know, go back and listen to the oral argument. I know myself and many others at the time tweeted out that they thought the oral arguments, to the extent you can, you know, uh, read the tea leaves from those, that they didn't go very well for the SEC. The SEC, the judges were very skeptical of this position 
uh, about how you know, how can you say that the the spot market and the and the futures market, which are linked at the hip in many respects, you know, you have to hedge in spot or hedge in futures depending on what kind of trade you're putting on. How can you say that you know one is not prone to manipulation, not able to detect manipulation, and the other is? It seems inconsistent logic. So for them, for their purposes, it's very simple. Like you know, we we know we get a ruling sometime this summer or, or early fall that's coming down. We know that's going to come. It could come next week. You know, we don't have a set date for when they're going to rule. Why wouldn't you want to have a statement on file? What is the downside? Um, the downside, I guess, is maybe maybe uh, you, you get it denied or get it kicked for another you know year and just has to keep getting um, moved. But you know, it's not a ton of work. It's not a ton of cost. You know. It doesn't make sense not to do it, in my opinion. If I were there, I would advise them to do it. Joe is a wealth of knowledge. Yesterday on Toxic Happy Hour, he talked about the uh, inter, uh, you know, a, a potential derivative trade, not derivative trade, but a secondary consideration is GBTC. So, uh, look, lots of ways to play this. Uh, Peter, for your information, that's covering the spread. That's not winning the game. And I placed the bet mid-game with my son's uh, betting app. It wasn't big money. It was 90 clams. And at the end of the day, I never picked TCU to win. I picked them to cover the spread. So you got to yeah. understand probabilities, friend. So let's talk about that, Greg, just to they re cover the spread? for everybody here. Repeat it. I, I don't, you know, get totally, uh, you know, I don't say anything certain. That's just not the world I live in. I can't for a lot of reasons. But I will tell you, if there's one thing I have extremely high probability in, like I put it at one of the things I'm absolutely confident it will occur without being absolutely confident that it's going to occur, is that if there is approval of any spot Bitcoin ETF, there will not just be one, there will be many, including Grayscale. Whatever, whatever application gets approved, it is a an hour worth of legal work for their attorney to amend the current statement that's currently on. Uh, to match the form and substance of that application. So in other words, if BlackRock's got approved, grayscales would be approved as well. I have almost no doubt in that that that, that sort of sequence of events because so, there's no so way sure. for that. Yeah. Based, based on what you just said, does this potentially mean that GBTC is going to get a, a favorable ruling now? Well, well, that's always been the case. They could always potentially get a favorable ruling. Since but like, what I mean is, like, in terms of timeline, maybe they submitted their applications because they know something good is about to come for GBTC. So, do you know what where they stand? Is that is that timeline like approaching soon, or where where yeah, are we, we could, that? Yeah, we could get the GBTC. We could get the Grayscale SEC uh, order uh, any day now. Um, we had oral arguments, which you should go back and listen to. I mean, anybody interested in this discussion want to get in the weeds? You had two lawyers, uh, one of which was extremely high paid. Uh, on behalf of uh, Grayscale, Don really former uh, Solicitor General, um, he, he uh, now in private practice was uh, arguing on behalf of Grayscale, really a big gun. And you can listen to him argue in front of a panel of judges why the spot conversion should be made. And uh, it's all recorded. It's on the Internet. I'm surprised more people haven't listened to it. Uh, but but effectively, it was in March. OK. And after oral arguments, generally you get uh, some sort of ruling four to ten months after. Uh, that's just, you know, based on data from publicly. So, you know, the, the oral arguments are the final thing. The judges hear the oral arguments and then they rule. Um, so, you know, we're reaching that point now with March. We're in July. That's four months. You get a ruling next week. You get a ruling October. You get a ruling in November. How many, how many judge panel was it, Joe? Three. 
And Joe, didn't you say, did I misinterpret yesterday on Toxic Happy Hour that you said you thought the GBTC decision would become come before the BlackRock? 100%. Absolutely. Okay, cool. See, that's the big so Joe, sorry. how can you, how can you bet against Frost? Clearly, Frost is going to win the bet now. No. He's bank. He is the bank. How would he win the bet? I mean, the way he would win the bet is if, for some reason, the, the third... Well, I mean, if 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 the grayscale if grayscale won, okay, let's talk about what that looks like. Um, they could the the, the filing would be deemed uh, their denial would be deemed arbitrary and capricious. So what does that mean? That means the appellate court directs the commission, the SEC, to revisit the issue and issue an order that is not arbitrary and capricious. Now that order can be, oops, we screwed up. We're letting it go through, but that additional process of the victory can take another year. Okay, so so a win for the best case scenario, in my opinion, for Grayscale is finding that the the denial was arbitrary and capricious, and that is a direction back to the SNC to reconsider their prior denial. And that process takes, you know, again, six months to a year. So how is Foss going to win? Sounds like uh, anyway, guys, I love you uh, because this is how markets are made: spreads, probabilities understand nothing is 100% certain except one thing, fiat debasement. You guys are the best. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Terrence. I look forward to having a steak dinner with Thank both you. of you guys. Likewise. I'm not sure who's paying. Well, loser pays. What the? It's that theta risk, Foss. Come back and bite you. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, so do you, I mean, like how, so they could come back and the SEC could lose that lawsuit. And say, okay, well, we're not going to list a spot Bitcoin ETF. We're going to delist the futures. Hundred percent. Do you think that's possible? Beautiful. Like, beautiful. Yes. Even with, Absolutely. Even with how much money is already pumped into that thing. Yes, one hundred percent. You're you're right. And I and go back in real time. I tweeted this out at the time. There's actually a question. Again, I heard, highly encourage people to go listen to the judge. One of the final question in the oral argument was what you just said. They said, well, well, counsel uh, for the SEC, this is how the, the flow, I'm paraphrasing, but if you go back and listen to it, they'll say this, counsel the SEC, if, let's say we disagree with your reading and we think that, you know, there doesn't make a whole lot of sense for why you would, uh, um, why you would treat these two markets differently, given that futures are generally used uh, to hedge spot and spot are generally used to hedge futures. Um, what if we were to find in their favor? Wouldn't that mean that we'd have to order you to revisit your prior approval uh, of the EPTs for the futures? And uh, the SEC said that could be the SEC council said, yes, that could be one of your potential um, instructions to us uh, in the event of that finding. So that basically translating that to just basic English, they're saying, yeah, you, there is absolutely a scenario here where grayscale wins and the practical result is delisting of futures ETFs, futures ETFs, not futures, but futures ETFs. Could this be just because it was like a change of guard now with Gensler coming in and the futures came in before Gensler? And so maybe Gensler actually wants to remove the futures? Well, well again, he, no. he, he can't. He, 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 hold, hold, hold on. Okay. Futures for Bitcoin approved on the CME. Who approved those? Okay. What, what agency approved those tradings? What's that, Terrence? TFTC. Yeah, Terrence Gold Star. Oh, right. Gold. Okay. Yeah. Right. So yep. that's not his call is, is the approval of the futures 
Yeah, that makes sense. Is there any chance ETF. that um, different? Any other application could be approved before the GBTC ruling happens? I mean, again, I, I don't live in the world saying no chance, but I would be, I put that extremely low probabilities, probably less than 1%. And, and just think practically, okay? If you're, you're in, you, you, let's all, we're all uh, higher ups in a boardroom at the SEC, okay? And you talk about litigation, you talk about rulemaking, you talk about approvals. And we say, okay, next up on the agenda, we're going to talk about these Bitcoin spot ETFs. Um, well, you know, we want to get these approved. Okay, well, if that's the case, uh, Mr. Commissioner, um, what are we going to do with the active litigation we have? We have a case right now we're being sued for not approving one of these things. Uh, yeah, well, we should uh, we should do what with that? What, what is the consensus of the, the room on what we should do with the litigation where we're actively fighting against approval? Should we let that fight continue even though we want to approve one for other actors? I mean, it just doesn't make sense, right? Like, if you're going to approve the ETF, why don't you lie down in the appellate court and say, just kidding, appellate court, rather than, uh, you know, get embarrass us with a bad ruling, we're going to pivot and file a brief and say, we're, you know, this, this case is no longer necessary. We're going to withdraw from the case because we don't think there's really a key uh, need for the appellate court to rule on it because we're going to let them through anyway. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. Well, there's certainly a lot to keep track of and thankful for the people on stage who share their expertise with us. So thanks guys. We are uh, out of time. So if you wanted to go around, if somebody has last comments, um, you know, Foss, John, Joe, Terrence, Aunt, Peter, DJ, you guys have any, any last uh, yeah, piece of advice or words? Absolutely. Go for yeah. it. My, my only thought is just self-custody your own Bitcoin. Have a great, wonderful weekend, everyone. Happy 4th. Happy Canada Day, everyone. You probably don't know it, but that's July 1st. So we have Canada Day and then you have 4th of July. Enjoy, everybody. Hug your kids. Is that your 4th of July, Foss? Canada Day? Well, it's way bigger, actually. I just don't want to die <laughs> oh. your 4th of July uh, celebrations. <laughs> I'll just say this real quickly, you know, um, the, the message we were hearing loud and clear. Okay. Um, is that there's a new, new guard in the United States when it comes to our Supreme court and this ruling we got today, coupled with the ruling we got, uh, previously, uh, about, you know, affirmative action and the student loans, uh, today, I mean, you know, for folks thinking that like, you know, this court is not, going to really hold both the legislature, the Congress, and the presidency's feet to the fire on pronouncements, and that they're going to let them run, uh, you know, very broad, sweeping legislation in the future. I think that's wrong. Um, You know, this court is firmly saying we don't care what precedent is. We don't care what the background is. We're willing to overturn any prior decision we think that is at odds with the Constitution. Um, and that that's really important. I mean, this court is in it's, it's a younger court. It's in play now for decades. And with respect to Bitcoin, OK, the folks that think, oh, the government's just going to come out and ban it and it's going to all disappear and they're going to take private property rights. Uh, I think that's totally wrong, given what this court is saying in terms of its recent decisions and also its decisions regarding, um, you know, uh, agencies exceeding the boundaries of their authority. So um, whether you think that's a good thing or bad thing, I'll leave that up to you. But, uh, you know, these rulings here are, are sending a message loud and clear that this this court is a totally different beast than what we've probably seen for the past several decades. God bless America.
Joe, <laughs> thank you so much. God bless freedom and rights and property rights. God bless America from Canada. Amen to that. I, I think that's a great message from Joe and from Foss going into 4th of July weekend, if you will. And I, I was just going to say something similar that, you know, America may uh, not be perfect. No nation is, but thank God for separation of powers that still exists to some degree. Let's talk about something that's really important. Tour de France starts tomorrow. It's the greatest race of all time. Basically, these guys are going to run 20, uh, 19, uh, 19 uh, marathons back-to-back over three weeks. So watch your Tour de France, people. Touch grass. Did Foss just jump in a, a stream? He jumped, he jumped on a bike, man. He's already riding. <laughs> Yo, represent well, Bitcoin. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. God bless America. Everyone have a great uh, weekend. Uh, maybe it's a long weekend, so have a great time. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all the speakers. Uh, this is Cafe Bitcoin. This is the number one place to listen to all your Bitcoin news with some of the brightest minds in the industry every weekday morning. Um, this is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Uh, Swan is a Bitcoin financial services company. You can check us out at swan.com for all of our services, as well as our educational resources to learn about Bitcoin. Um, also, we throw a conference, Specific Bitcoin, October 5th and 6th, 2023. Uh, this is out in beautiful Santa Monica. Um, they've got excellent speakers, and it's a really, really good time. It's more of like a festival feel. Um, so go check it out pacificbitcoin.com get your tickets today so thanks for listening everybody have a great time uh, spend some good time outside with family and friends and keep stacking sacks